Well, hey, friends. Here we are at the final message in our series on disappointment and hope. We've been naming the disappointments we've experienced in the past year or so. Sickness, anxiety, injustice, loss, and loneliness. Each week we've turned to the words and works of Jesus and, and found infinite hope in the face of those finite disappointments. But there's one disappointment we haven't faced yet, and it may be the most difficult of all to overcome. Disappointment with ourselves, with who we are or what we've done or what we've failed to do. Now, we've defined disappointment as the gap between expectation and reality. When something or someone doesn't live up to our expectations, we're disappointed. Now, Tom Brady certainly met expectations in last Sunday's Super Bowl. Patrick Mahomes, not so much. But, but what happens when, when we're the ones who fail to meet expectations? When we fall short of, of other people's expectations of us, or of our own expectations of ourselves, or, or God's expectations of us? Now, if this topic isn't hitting home with you yet, let, let me ask how you're doing on that New Year's resolution you made. They tell us that 80% of New Year's resolutions fail by, wait for it, the second week of February. Well, so chances are many of us are, are right on schedule. But, but I'm not just talking about the, the failure to, to lose a few pounds or get some more sleep. I'm talking about failures that keep us from becoming the people we want to be. Failures of nerve or character or judgment or relationship. I'm talking about failures that we can't seem to forget or that others won't let us forget. I'm talking about regrets, mistakes, sins even that haunt us for years or for a lifetime. Whether we're dealing with a, with a chronic shortcoming or a colossal collapse, how do we overcome disappointment with ourselves? Now, Jesus hasn't let us down yet in this series, so let's turn once again to the Gospel of Luke and see how Jesus responds to failure of the worst kind and of the ordinary kind. Now, it happens to be a love story which is appropriate on this Valentine's Day. There's a man and a woman and, and actually a lot of kissing. But it's not your typical love story. It's such an intriguing story, we've asked Scott to, to bring Luke's words to life for us. So let's give a listen, and then we'll come back and take a closer look. One of the Pharisees, a man named Simon, invited Jesus to have dinner with him. Jesus went to the man's home and reclined at his table, along with the man's other guests. Now, in that town there lived a woman who had done everything wrong, and everyone knew it. Each bad decision had led to another for as long as she could remember. Now, when she heard that Jesus was dining at this home, she resolved to find him there and, and arrived uninvited, clutching an alabaster jar of perfume. 
as she approached him from behind. But, but before she could speak, she began to cry, and her, her tears wet his feet. So she bent down and let down her hair and began wiping Jesus' feet. Both aware and unaware of the people watching her, she kissed his feet and, and broke open her jar and poured the perfume out. The fragrance filled the room. And when the Pharisee that had invited Jesus saw this display, he said to himself, he is not a prophet after all then, or he would know what kind of woman she is. Jesus looked up and said, Simon, Simon, I have something to tell you. Now, with some difficulty, everyone in the room refocused their attention. Tell me, teacher, Simon replied. Two people owed money to a certain lender. One, 500 coins, and the other, 50. But neither could pay. So the lender forgave both debts. Now, which do you think loved him more? Simon hesitated. Well, the the one who owed more, I suppose. Jesus nodded. Correct. He gestured to the woman who, who had now collected herself slightly, but was staring now uncomfortably at the floor. Do you see this woman? When I entered your house, you did not offer me water to wash my feet, but she, she has wet my feet with her tears and and dried them with her own hair. You did not greet me with a kiss, but she has kissed my feet many times. You did not pour oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on me. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins are forgiven. Her, her great love shows that this is true. But whoever has has received only small forgiveness, will be small in love. And Jesus turned to the, to the woman. Your sins are forgiven, he said. Now, the guests whispered among themselves, Who is this who, who says he forgives sins? And to the woman with the, with the fragments of her jar in her hands, Jesus said, Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. So we meet three characters here in this story, a woman, a Pharisee, and Jesus. Now, it's not exactly a love triangle in the typical sense of that word, but their three lives do get tangled up with each other in an intimate and profound way. Now, now Jesus, we know, He's been on the road for a while at this point, gaining popularity, stirring up controversy. People are are sizing him up. He's obviously a teacher and a healer, but is he he a prophet? Is he he more than a prophet? The second man in the story is, is Simon, a Pharisee. Now, we tend to think of the Pharisees as the bad guys, but in their day, they were the good guys upright, God-fearing, law-abiding citizens and leaders. 
And unlike other Pharisees who, who seem to have more sinister motives when they question Jesus, Simon seems to be genuinely interested and sincere. He's invited Jesus to his house for dinner and has left the door open in the custom of the time so that, so that people can drop by and, and listen in on the conversation with, with, with Jesus, this local celebrity. And then there's the woman. Not just any woman. She's got a reputation, and it's not a good one. Now, we're not told what she's done, but the implication is that it involves some sort of public sin, probably of a sexual nature. Is she a prostitute or promiscuous? We're not told. But three times we're told she's a sinner. So it's pretty clear that, that, that she's made a mess of her life, and, and, and everyone knows it. Now, sin is, is just the Bible's word for moral and spiritual failure. The most common word for sin in the Bible literally means falling short or missing the mark. At one point, the Bible actually describes sin as falling short of the glory of God. Now, that doesn't mean falling short of some arbitrary uh, moral standards God sets up, as in, you know, jump this high and you'll get into the kingdom. It's not that. It simply means falling short of the good and glorious things we were created to be and do. Human beings were created to be good and kind and honest and faithful and true, and, and just, and loving, and courageous, and noble. And when we're not those things, when we fail to be and do those things, we fall short of the people we were meant to be. And we miss out on the life God intends for us and for the world. Now, this past year has exposed an awful lot of those moral and spiritual failures, hasn't it? Failures of, of government to act quickly and decisively to control the pandemic. Failures of people to, to follow protocols to protect themselves and others. Failures in our political process. Failures in our justice system. Failures of the media to, to communicate fairly and responsibly. Failure of the church sometimes. Uh, to, to be a, a united force for truth and justice and love. And it all came to a head a month ago yesterday, remember that? With an angry mob of armed citizens storming their own capital, assaulting police officers, threatening harm to elected leaders, and attempting to overturn our constitutional order. We watched in horror as it unfolded before our eyes. And, and at some point, I think every one of us must have said to ourselves, how is this happening? What have we come to? They say that, that every addict has to hit bottom before they're ready to admit they have a problem. In other words, they have to do something so humiliating, so degrading, like stealing from their family or losing their job, 
something so humiliating that they, that they, that they finally realize just how broken they are. January 6th felt like that kind of moment for America when we hit bottom. Uh, when not just our political failure, but our moral and spiritual failure was exposed on display, on the screen, and for the whole world to see. Even though we weren't there personally storming the Capitol, I, I think we all at a certain point felt ashamed of ourselves, of, of what's happened to us. Because the truth is, even on a personal level, the stress and strain of the past year has exposed our brokenness, our failures. I mean, how many ugly thoughts have we had toward people who disagree with us politically or who are different from us racially or, or who don't seem to be representing Christ the way we think they should? What, what, what falsehoods have we believed or promoted? What truths have we refused to consider or accept? How many times have we said something hurtful or, or posted something inflammatory or, or canceled someone in anger? I mean, all this to say, we have reasons to be disappointed with ourselves as we look back over this past year. What do we do with all that disappointment, with our failures and regrets, whether recent or, or, or in the past? Well, let, let's see what this woman did with hers and, and how Jesus responded. As she enters the room, all eyes are on her. But, but instead of just taking a place alongside the wall to, to listen in on the conversation, she crosses the room in front of everybody and approaches Jesus. Now, she, she seems to know who he is and comes with the intention of honoring him. She has a jar of expensive perfume with her, worth tens of thousands of dollars. Anointing someone with oil or perfume was just a customary way of, of affirming someone, usually a loved one or, or a king or a prophet. But when she gets to Jesus, who, who, who's reclining at the table with his, his feet stretched out behind him, she's overcome with emotion. Now, maybe, maybe it's shame she's feeling for all that she's done. Maybe, maybe it's the humiliation of, of being stared at by all these men. Maybe it's gratitude for the grace she senses from Jesus in spite of her failures. Chances are it was, it was all of the above. She's just so overcome, she begins to weep. And as her tears wet Jesus' feet, she does the only thing she can think of to do in the moment. She, she lets her hair down lets her pretense down and wipes his feet with her hair. An incredibly intimate expression, not only of honor, but of affection. Well, 
It's shocking to Simon and his respectable religious guests. Scandalous, actually. I mean, if, if Jesus were a prophet, he would know who this woman is, what kind of life she's led. He would put a stop to this inappropriate behavior. But before we're too hard on Simon, let, let's remember that, that most of us are, are more like him than we care to admit. I mean, most of us are upright, God-fearing, law-abiding people. And, and like him, we've gotten pretty adept at pointing out other people's sins, especially certain kinds of sins, especially sexual sins, and, and doing it in a way that somehow makes us feel better about ourselves. So, so, so that's what Simon saw when he looked at this woman. He, he saw her sins and her failures. He saw her body and what she'd done with it. Jesus saw something else. Jesus saw her heart and what was happening there. He saw her sorrow for her sin and, and, and her faith that, that he was not like these other men, that he would accept her and, and even forgive her in spite of all she had done. And here's the ironic thing. Simon reasoned that Jesus couldn't be a prophet or he would know who and what this woman was. As it turned out, Jesus not only knew who this woman was and what was happening in her heart, he knew who Simon was and what was happening in his heart. But, but instead of just coming out and saying it in classic Jesus fashion, he tells a story instead. A story of two people both in debt to a banker. One owes a lot, the other owes less. In terms of today's economy, we might imagine that, that one of them owes $10,000, the other owes $100,000. They're both sizable sums, but one is considerably more consequential. The banker decides to forgive both debts. That's how we know this is a made-up story. <laughs> now, which of them will love him more, Jesus asks. Love. What's love got to do with it? Love is not a word you typically use when you're talking about your banker. Unless maybe he forgives you a $100,000 debt, you might be tempted to love him. Now, which of them will love him more? I think Jesus chose the word love very intentionally because he's not really talking about a transaction between two fiscal parties. He's talking about a relationship between human beings and the God who made them. Now, now, now to his credit, Simon doesn't dodge or obfuscate the way other Pharisees typically do. He, he actually answers the question, and, and he answers it honestly and correctly. Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. And now Jesus has him right where he wants him. Do you see this woman? 
Jesus asks? It was a loaded question. Truth was, Simon hadn't taken his eyes off this woman since the moment she walked in the door. And neither had all the other religious men in the room. Simon saw the woman all right. And her sin and her failure. What he didn't see was his own sin. His own failures. So, so Jesus points them out. Right in front of everybody. Seems as if, if, as if, this, if this woman's failures were going to be on public display, this man's would be too. Simon failed to show hospitality by neglecting to offer Jesus water to wash up before dinner. He failed to, to greet Jesus with a kiss, as would have been customary at the time. He, he, he failed to honor Jesus as a spiritual leader by anointing him with oil or perfume. But most importantly, he failed to recognize the miracle that was taking place right before his eyes. As a broken woman brought her sin and failure to Jesus, confident that she would find forgiveness and the freedom to begin again. Do you see this woman? What a question. Simon saw her all right, but all he saw was her sin. Jesus saw her sorrow. Simon saw her body. Jesus saw her heart. Simon saw her past. Jesus saw her future. And just to be sure no one else missed what was happening here, Jesus says it out loud for, for everyone to hear. Woman, your sins are forgiven. But then he, he doesn't just forgive her, he actually affirms her and sends her on her way with a blessing. Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. You know, it's interesting. If you, if you look up this passage in your Bible, you'll probably find a, a, a heading, something like, Jesus anointed by a sinful woman. Now, that's accurate but only by half. It implies that there's only one sinner here. You could just as easily have titled the story, Jesus Disrespected by a Sinful Man. You see, this is a tale of two sinners. Not just the two made-up sinners in the parable, but, but the two real-life sinners in the room that day, the woman and the Pharisee. Now, one sin was more obvious than the others. Sexual promiscuity is always more obvious than spiritual pride. But, but both sins were substantial. Both people had failed to live up to expectations. And they both needed the same thing, forgiveness and a fresh start. And isn't that, isn't that what we all need when we fail, when we're disappointed with ourselves? I don't know what sins or failures have been exposed in your life this past year, but I'm pretty sure none of us have been our best selves over the course of the past 12 months. 
Maybe it was the way we snatched up armfuls of toilet paper or sanitizer back at the beginning, giving little thought to the folks who would be coming after us. Maybe it's the hurtful habits we've turned to to cope with the stress and, and loneliness of these days. Maybe it's the hurtful things we, we've said to people we live or work with simply because we're tired or angry or, or anxious or bored. Maybe it's, maybe it's the drift in our spiritual lives or our failure to stay engaged with our church. One day we feel like we're shortchanging our kids for the sake of our job. Another day we're shortchanging our job for the sake of our kids. Either way, it feels like we're failing at something and, and maybe at a lot of things. So what do we do with those failures, with, with all that disappointment with ourselves? Well, we do what this woman did. We bring it to Jesus. We come to him just like this woman did, just as we are, broken and sinful, believing that that with him we can find forgiveness and a fresh start. Now, I told you this was a love story, but it's not just about this woman's love for Jesus, expressed so, so, so lavishly and sacrificially. It's about Jesus' love for this woman, a boundless love, an infinite love. You see, she couldn't have known it at the time. But the sin and shame she carried into the room that day and laid at Jesus' feet, he was going to pick it up and carry it for her all the way to the cross. The scorn and humiliation heaped on her by those religious leaders that day would soon be heaped on him by, by, by these same religious leaders. Her body on display in all her brokenness would prefigure his body, exposed and vulnerable on the cross. And her act of love, that perfume poured out lavishly and sacrificially would point toward his blood poured out just as lavishly and sacrificially to cover a multitude of sins. No one in the room could have understood it at the time. But the Apostle Paul would explain it some years later. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. See, when Jesus died on that cross, he took our sins and failures, however great or small they might be, however public or private, however recent or long ago, he took those sins and failures and he put them to death. And then he took, he took them with him into the grave where he laid them to rest. And on the third day, he left them there, stepping out of that grave and into the light of a new day, 
so that, so that we could put those sins behind us and be forgiven and free now and forever. Friends, Jesus is as able and willing and eager to forgive us as he was to forgive this notoriously sinful woman. You see, infinite love means infinite forgiveness. And infinite forgiveness means infinite hope, even in the face of our worst failures. The hope of forgiveness and a new beginning. Now, I know that's hard to believe and even accept sometimes, especially when when you've done something so bad or or you've done it so many times, you, you can't imagine ever getting past it. I don't have enough fingers on my hands to, to count the number of times over the years someone has come to me with a sin they're pretty sure God can't forgive. Sometimes it's something that happened a long time ago, but they've never been able to get past it. Sometimes it's something that happened recently and then they can't believe what they've done. Sometimes it's been something profound infidelity, abortion, addiction, pornography, abuse, a crime of some sort, even murder. Sometimes it's been something more subtle, jealousy, vengeance, hatred, lust, greed, unforgiveness. And they'll describe to me how awful they feel, how they just can't forgive themselves. And they're pretty sure God can't forgive them either. And after they go on for a while like that, I'll say to them, who do you think you are? (laughs) What what, what do you mean, they usually say. And I'll say, you think your sin is so special and so remarkable that God can't forgive it? He forgave thieves and drunkards and prostitutes and murderers, including the people who murdered him but he can't forgive you? Are you more righteous and just than God? He's willing to forgive you, but you're not willing to forgive you? Who do you think you are? Now, I usually say it nicer than that, (laughs) But, but you get the idea. Where do we get off deciding who God can and can't forgive? Yeah, but, but what about the unforgivable sin? They'll say, maybe I've committed that. Well, Jesus mentions the unforgivable sin one time in Scripture, and it's sinning against the Holy Spirit. In other words, resisting or refusing the work of the Holy Spirit, whose work it is to to convict us of our sin and point us toward Christ. Which basically means that the only unforgivable sin is the one you don't ask forgiveness for. Or, Or to put it another way, The only unforgivable sin is the one you don't bring to Jesus. So so maybe it's time to stop punishing yourself and resisting the Spirit and instead get down on your knees and receive the forgiveness Christ has been offering you for a long time. A forgiveness He laid down His life to secure. If Christ could forgive this woman 
who he himself said had committed many sins, he can certainly forgive you too if you ask him. And he certainly could have forgiven Simon if he asked for it. Now, we're, we're, we're not told if, if how Simon responded to Jesus here. I do find it interesting that Luke says uh, the other guests questioned Jesus' claim to forgive sins. But he doesn't say that Simon questioned it. We've already pointed out that that Simon seemed to be more sincere, more, more honest than some of the other Pharisees we've met. And, and we know that a few of the Pharisees eventually became followers of Jesus. Could Simon have been one of those? Could that be why, why Luke mentions him by name? Because he would have been known among the early Christians? That's it's an intriguing question. But it's not nearly as intriguing or important as how you will respond to Jesus. What will you do with your disappointments, with yourself? Has this past year exposed some moral or spiritual failure in your life? Something you feel badly about or, or ashamed of even, but, but can't seem to get past? Or is, or is there some sin you've been carrying around with you for a, for a long time, feeling as though he, not even God can forgive you for it? Maybe it's time to bring it to Jesus. To come to Jesus just as you are and take whatever it is you've done or failed to do and lay it at the feet of Jesus. Just, just put it down. Just, just pour it out the way this woman did. And then walk away from this, this moment the way she walked away, forgiven and free. Go in peace, Jesus says. Go in peace. Be well. Be whole. Be the person you were meant to be. The person I created you to be. The person deep in your heart you have always wanted to be. The only sin that can't be forgiven is the one you don't bring to Jesus. If you have never come to Jesus like that, as a sinner in need of forgiveness, you can do that today. I'm going to pray a simple prayer in just a minute. And you can pray along right after me. Now, now, if, you, if you've already done that, if, if you know you're a child of God, but there's something on your heart today that you want forgiveness for, you can bring that to Jesus today too. Just, just pray this simple prayer after me. And, and walk away from this moment forgiven and free. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I come to you today just as I am, with all my sins and failures. Thank you for carrying those sins and failures to the cross, where you put them to death and laid them in the grave once and for all. Thank you for the promise of forgiveness and a fresh start when I come to you in faith as I am right now. 
Lead me, Lord, into new and better ways of living. And help me to become the person you created me to be. In Jesus' name, amen. If you prayed that prayer after me for the first time or maybe the first time in a long time, I'd love to know that and be able to pray for you. Would you just send me an email at brian with a y at grace.org? <laughs> you can just say, I'm forgiven and free, or whatever you want to say. Or if you have questions and would like to know more about trusting and following Christ, just, just send me an email and let me know. But right now, let, let, let's think about these things and about this moment. Let's enjoy this next song, and then I'll come back and close things out.